How long will it take you to read Instagram's terms of service? Would you guess? Uh, me personally, about eight seconds. <laughs> but everyone else. You know. <laughs> Mark, hi. Good morning. Good morning. This weekend will be remembered for the comeback sports events that it hosted, don't you think? Okay. What are we talking about? We're talking about the tennis, obviously. Yeah, but let's talk also about the rugby. I mean, the first 20 minutes, the Springboks were nowhere, okay? And it was embarrassing so much so that towards switching the TV off, I turned down the volume just for starters, okay? So I don't have to, I don't, I don't have to see and hear what was going on, okay? And then, and then in the second half, the box kind of uh, redeemed themselves. And it occurred to me that we should put our second stringers on first, you know? Yes, that first. Is, so turns out our second team got a little bit better than the first team. <laughs> first team, yeah. And the other thing that came into play this weekend also in the rugby, but more obviously in the tennis, was this generation gap, the age gap between the old and the new players. You know, I mean, the Springboks, the old guys actually won the match, but they needed the new guys to score the tries. It, it was a fascinating weekend of watching the generation changes. And the tennis, of course, was even more so. No, I know, I know. It was a, absolutely amazing. It really was a, just an extraordinary match. For the first time in my life, I actually felt sorry for Jocko. Yeah. I mean, really, to have been three years old when, you know, the person you're playing against won his first tournament. 25 years later or whatever it is, he's still winning tournaments, but you're playing him. Yeah. <laughs> it's tough on the old guys. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> and writing about it, and I can tell you what, I think the lesson's there for business and politics. When is it time to move on and how do you go about it? We'll talk a bit maybe later about what's happening to our population demographics worldwide. But I thought that Djokovic redeemed his image at the end quite well in terms of how he dealt with his defeat and his little bit of emotion when he talked to his sons and so on. And I'm sure that he emerged out of that stadium with at least 14 friends, which is way more than he had when he started. <laughs> it is brutal when you're in front of, what's the viewership, 50, 60 million people or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Millions. And, and everyone is cheering for the other guy. Yeah. <laughs> this must be really tough. But I thought so too. I thought his post-match press conference was just fabulous. Yeah, it was. You know, he was just excellent. I felt bad for thinking that he was such a dick. He is a bit of a dick. He's an anti-vaxxer, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. He's I a mean, bit of a jock, actually. More, yeah. He's more of a jock <laughs> than a dick. <laughs> I was going to raise this later in our sort of number section, but let me raise it now because it just is relevant to this conversation. Let me ask you this question. We're not counting uh, what they earned on the court. Which tennis player earned most money off the court last year? No, who? Djokovic. No. Federer. Who, Federer? Federer. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I mean, what is he doing? Modeling. Federer, Federer made on the court zero. He made zero. Yeah. In yeah. And off the court, he made $90 million. <laughs> wow. Well, if I was Djokovic, I'd retire immediately. Effortlessly. No, no, no. It just, it just shows how your branding lasts longer than your ability. <laughs> Better build it up while you've still got the stuff to do it with. Yeah, yeah. My, my number for the week is slightly different, though. I mean, people I've heard are streaming tourists in their droves to Death Valley right. this weekend because in Death Valley this weekend, the temperature is projected to be 
133 degrees Fahrenheit, or if you like in our language, 56 degrees Celsius. And that's hot as hell, but that is Death Valley. <laughs> that is that is a starter for all of us that are going to hell. May as well go for a warm-up session. <laughs> yeah. No, it's amazing. There's it have been temperature highs all over the world this, this past week. It's just been yeah. incredible. Just no. amazing. And it snows in Joburg. We can never be the same. Yeah, no, exactly. All right. Talking about not being the same. Yeah, huh? <laughs> yeah. Did you notice that we are now, what, a month and a half away from Vladimir Putin theoretically visiting us? And three different cabinet ministers gave three different responses to whether or not Putin should come and if he does, what happens? Really? We're getting into... I have a solution. Okay, let's do it. I have a solution. Okay, so what happens is Putin comes, okay? We arrest him. Right. We then issue a warrant of arrest for Jacob Zuma, who's in Russia. And once they've both been arrested, we do like this prisoner exchange. Brilliant. And everyone's happy in their end. What do you think? Eh? (laughs) Absolutely brilliant. Come home to mama, Baba. Eh? I I think he's opening the door for a whole new international way of detente. So, yeah. And let him come and then we'll get our act back and everyone will go to prison and it'll be fabulous. Yeah. I don't know. It is extraordinary that you just look up and Zuma is in, in Russia again. And what surprising timing because this week his appeal in order to try and stay out of jail failed. Well, I mean, that's, that's enough. I must say, if I was feeling just even slightly queasy, I would become instantly ill at the prospect of going to jail. So I can understand why he was hanging around at the airport. And when the news came through, he thought to myself, and I feel a bit cuck anyway. Yeah. We're going to have a yeah. check that. Because we've got no doctors, yeah. yeah. I mean, what? No, exactly. Yeah. And Russia's obviously the best place to go and have your health checked. And then the ANC Secretary General says, they're not going to listen to the Constitutional Court ruling. Have you ever? And then his deputy says, no, they're not going to stand in the way. of the ring. We are in a bit of a confusion. But I think the basic dynamic here is that uh, the ANC would really like him not to come this is what some of the cabinet ministers say some of the time. They try to convince him not to come. Yeah. But if you are Putin, the diplomatic corner that you're in, that he is at the moment, yeah. how can you possibly turn down the opportunity to be photographed with the heads of state of Brazil, India, and China? Never mind us. You know what I mean? I mean, obviously, there's a risk that you won't be the head of the country when you get back. (laughs) But in the meantime... And what better setting than Cape Town? And what better time of year than just before spring? I'd be there like a shot. But (laughs) they haven't told him about our prisoner exchange program yet. So I think, pass off, but pass off. Bound to be newsworthy. Mark, what do you feel about the Filipino logistics business? When you think about logistics internationally, does your mind automatically go to the Philippines because they have competitive advantage in that logistics stuff? I must (laughs) say, you can scarcely utter the log of logistics when I'm going, Filipino, Filipino. (laughs) No, I've never thought of it. So what are they going to do? They're going to be part of a public-private partnership with Transnet to operate one of the aspects of the Durban port, and that's the container. I don't actually know how many container ports there are, but they will be in charge of one of them, at least. And the reason is, famously, Transnet are the most inefficient port 
of all major ports around the world. Did you know that, by the way? Interestingly, if you think about a joint venture between the Philippines and Transnet, the acronym is PT, which the last one wasn't that good. It was posting telecommunications. So I'm not sure it's got a good grounding. But let, but let me say this. We are the dripping roast for infrastructure investment. We must be the prize opportunity to be lifted up out of a state of decay and rapid deterioration into the next phase of growth, if there's going to be one in South Africa. Foreign direct investment must be looking at us just thinking, is there any way we can take this bet? Because it's a big and beautiful bet. We must be looking like the place to build infrastructure. We are the place. All they need is a little bit of certainty. You can see some big companies around the world saying, South Africa, big risk. On the other hand, I can buy Durban. I can put Durban on my credit card. How much are we going to lose? <laughs> yeah. yeah, you can try. They might say, please reinsert your card. You know, or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm amazed they have agreed, the transcend of greed and government have agreed that they should have a public-private partner. And I think that's a good thing. It's a, good, it's a great thing. If they can bring some expertise to the Durban port, I think people who use the port will be delighted. I say at last and bring it on. Yeah. I think more and more we're starting to see public and private partnerships coming together out of necessity. Yes. It's the only pity is that we couldn't intellectually anticipate this and do it anyway before it became damn nearly the last straw. Yeah, I think we're going to see it all over the place. The challenge for me will be to get the right deals, okay? In other words, I don't think municipalities or provinces or even the country for that matter is going to be as successful as raising capital if they wanted to raise the capital and do the projects themselves as they would be if they went into partnership with the people that do the projects themselves. So if you want to build a dam, Get the dam builders in. Don't give the money to the municipality, okay? And so I think if we can structure deals where ownership and operational charge in the first instance belongs to the builders of infrastructure and in some 20-year kind of deal, ownership changes to us uh, and we build these fabulously maintained and properly technologically current facilities that can be the foundation for all sorts of positive currency in our country. If the environment remains conducive or becomes conducive to long-term investment. And there's a hell of a lot of uncertainty about that's not even necessarily reflected in the exchange rates. 2024 is going to be plus or minus, I think, in the foreign direct investment discussion. You know what intrigues me about this Philippines Harbour Authority buying part of Transnet yeah. is that Bidvest runs the Maputo port. Yeah. I just wonder why the government didn't think that possibly a South African company might be capable of running this damn thing. I mean, it's a strange thing. It's a, I mean, maybe they got a better deal. Who knows? Maybe Bidvest wasn't interested. Maybe they didn't get the offer. Who knows? But it is curious, isn't it? We've got a private sector company in South Africa that runs a port which is 450 kilometers from Johannesburg, but they are not the ones who are chosen to run the Durban port. I'm afraid, Tim, it's more than curious, actually. I think foreign companies are seen very differently from local old companies, yes. and they're far more welcome for reasons of baggage. Yes. And that's a great tragedy that we can't start looking more towards our future than we do towards our past, because 
the skills are here. Not to go back to Zuma, but we've got some of the best medical skills in the country, so it's clearly not going to rush for that. But so often you see advice being taken. Let's look in finance, the advisors to government, all the foreign merchant banks and investment bankers who all made fortunes out of advising our government when the skills here are world-class and as good. And so there's a reluctance to partnership with South Africa, given the demographic constituency of the companies that operate here and all sorts of other things that I hope one day we'll find within us to embrace and cross over. But I think that's the reason. Local is lacquer, man. Yeah. Come on, we can, and maybe I'm going to find another way of saying that. <laughs> but yeah, I think there's a deeper cause. There's a deeper cause, and we must get over it. Yeah. We have this new section, which I've already started, which is called our kind of number of the week. Mm. You've already given yours. I've already given one, but I have another one. Oh, also, also. Yeah. Oh, do you? Okay. Actually, I've got another two. But anyway, let's start with my... my, my so do you know about the... Sh- you need to go outside of it. Too. <laughs> yeah. All right. Do you know the Shark Tank, the TV program, the Shark Tank? I've heard of it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, I know it, yeah. Yeah. So this is a sort of entrepreneurs come in front of a bunch of veteran sort of investors and they make a pitch and stuff like that. Okay. So <laughs> this guy yeah. comes before the Shark Tank and he pitches something called Ring, which is a, a smart doorbell. It's got a nice ring to it, that, yeah. Exactly. He values the company at $7 million. Okay. So now nobody's interested. None of the people on the Shark Tank are interested in investing in his idea, which is basically a doorbell. And as soon as you hit the doorbell, you trigger a little camera, which appears on your phone, Right. So if you hit the doorbell, yeah. there's like boing and the face of the person who's yeah, doing the yeah. And they kind of nice and cheap and stuff like that. Okay. So now five years later, how much did the owners of Ring sell their company to Amazon for? If it still had a seven in it, it would have a good few zeros behind <laughs> it. I don't know. A lot. A billion. A billion dollars. Aish. Amazing, hey? Aish. Aish. Seven years later. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. Generally speaking, venture capital firms are kind of now scaring away from technology, not that's technology. Right. It's the good old pendulum effect. You know, VC companies could, couldn't fill over themselves to go into new tech, right. and now they're falling over themselves, running out of the back door. I don't know. I'm not sure anyone knows anymore. We just follow each other around. But I've got another number for you. Okay. I was looking at this issue of the generational step that's happening in sport, and I started wondering, oh, what's happening to the world population? Right. And I spoke to Dr. Google, right. who's a close friend of mine, and it turns out that in 2050, there are going to be more than 450 million people over the age of 80 right. on our planet. Okay. So... If I was you, I'd be investing in nappy companies because there's also going to be a whole bunch of children around, okay? That's the first thing. You get a double whammy. Brilliant. You get a double whammy, you know. Yeah. So, but, but, but the real interesting statistic is that the number of kids below sort of 15 is going to be 20% of the population. The number of people over 60 is going to be 30% of the population. And Half of the population is going to have to support the other half of the population. That's never been that skewed. Previously, we had about 60% or 70% of the people in the middle supporting the tails. Yes. And now the kids are shrinking, but the oldies are growing. And so we've got a huge economic problem, not to mention social problem, 
with all of these oldies around. And I'm not sure what the solution to it is because the medicine that keeps them alive is a huge, huge industry. So there we go. 450 million octogerians or whatever they're called roaming about the planet, not quite sure where they are. And we, the 60-year-olds, have to work longer to keep them in good nick. It is an extraordinary economic problem. You can see it particularly in, in China. I don't know whether you saw the Chinese growth in the last quarter was just barely positive. And there's two reasons for that. Yeah. One reason is that business confidence is really low. But the other reason is that the demographic issue is finally catching up with China. The one-child policy. That Correct. Yeah. So now they're getting to the point where the weight of the population is too few people. We have fewer people of working age compared to people of non-working age. And India seems to have the opposite problem. Yeah. yeah, which is why India's growth has now become the, the new growth. You can see it a little bit in, in some places in Europe too. The replication rate in Italy is now negative and has been for ages. It's amazing. All right, I have one other number just before we sign off. I can't wait. Right. You know that there's this new thing called Threads, and it's part of Instagram. Yes. And it's very exciting. Yeah. It's a competition for Twitter, blah, 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 blah. Okay, so now, how long will it take you to read Instagram's terms of service, would you guess? Me personally, about eight seconds. But <laughs> everyone else, you know. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I mean, before you answer your number. Okay. The terms and conditions, I've just bought something. And the terms and conditions attaching to it, and I insured it. And so both terms of conditions right. were wads of pages long, yes. but pre-printed. Right. So tell me what happens in a world where you get presented with a hard copy pre-printed contract from the other side. You've got no choice but to sign it. So you might as well get on to the last page and get over it. But do tell me how long it would take to read. It would take you 51 minutes. I mean, the uh, other stat that I would love to read is how many people actually even go to the first page? Nobody. Do you know what I mean? Nobody. How many times when you said, would you like to read the terms of service? No, thank you. Just no. moving on. You just tick, you, you click on agree and you move on. And quite honestly, I think the plea that you would you'd offer or proffer in court yes. would be ignorance yes. rather than knowledge. Because there's no way that you can deeply and properly consider the terms and conditions imposed upon us by the bullies who are big corporates. I know, it's amazing. And that's what I've got to say. So, and everybody knows this. Everyone knows it. It's like everybody knows that yeah. nobody reads the terms and conditions. Yeah, so, and yet, yeah. there's obviously, there's legal sort of ramifications for it. And I second your, uh, yeah. how, what do we call it? Tongue lashing. <laughs> disdain. 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 That's what it is. Disdain. I hold him in disdain. See you next week. See you next week. Cheers, man. Disdain. This show is part of the Africa Podcast Network. The biggest pod, pod network on the continent. For sales inquiries, please contact, contact us at info at africapodcastnetwork.com.